cars is whips and sneakers is kicks, money is chips, movies is flicks, also cribs is homes, jacks is payphones, cocaine is nose candy, cigarettes is bones, uh, a radio is a box, a razor blade is an ox, fat diamonds is rocks and jakes is cops, and if you got robbed, you got stuck, you got shot, you got bucked, and if you got double crossed, you got your bank roll is your poke, a chokehold is a yoke, a kite is a note, a con is a okie doke, and if you got punched, that mean you got snuff, to clean this to buff, a bull scare is a strong stuff. I know you like the way I'm freaking it, I talk with slang and I'ma never stop speaking it. Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4's senior DFS editor, Chris Raybon, joined as always by roster coach founder and 4 for 4 associate editor, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? What's up, Chris? Just uh, getting ready for uh, maybe our last crack at a, at a big score. I don't know what the sites are going to be doing for uh, the conference round, but I did not have nearly enough Randall Cobb to have a big week last week, so hopefully we could pull it down in the divisional round. Yeah, definitely. A lot of my Randall Cobb lineups were lineups where I late swapped to him just to mm-hmm. get some more differentiation. But of course, usually do that in lineups that are um, lower to the bottom than anything. So yeah, I didn't really capitalize on it as much as I would have liked to either. But we'll talk more about Cobb in just a sec. We're going to break down all the games one by one. But first, the song that played us in today was Abonics by Big L off his 2000 album, The Big picture thought we'd take it back to harlem here abonics pretty amazing song back when you only needed one song to explain all the abonics you probably need like an encyclopedia nowadays yeah big l uh some might call him the the greatest freestyler of all time it's funny actually i did a roto academy article one time where i did a big l reference but i don't think uh too many people got it but i thought it was funny Oh, that's dope. I got to check that out. Yeah, Big L, <laughs> Big L definitely one of the best freestylers of all time. I think he had a freestyle with Jay-Z where he made Jay-Z mm-hmm. sound silly. Like, yep. Um, but moving on, let's spend as much time as we can on these four games. We'll break them down one by one, starting with the first game on the slate, the Seattle Seahawks at the Atlanta Falcons. As we record this on Wednesday, January 11th, the Falcons are five-point favorites. The over-under is 51.5, which means the implied score is Falcons 28.25, Seahawks 23.25. Now, the last meeting between these two teams was this year in Week 6. The Seahawks won 26-24, but that game was in... Seattle, um, TJ, I know you had a, a quick note about the uh, implied point total for the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, so since we have a, a full season of Vegas data for 2016, I, I kind of dug through some numbers this week, found out that uh, Atlanta averaged 8.13 points over their implied point total this year, and their games averaged 9.78 points over the projected over-under both of those numbers were the highest in the league. Probably not surprising considering Atlanta was the highest scoring team in the league. Uh, but I just thought that was really interesting to note. Now, I'll kind of be referencing those end-of-season Vegas findings throughout the podcast. Definitely good stuff. And this is a game where I could definitely see it going 
over the total, especially if Atlanta jumps out to an early lead. They have a good offense. Their defense is kind of shaky. Um, but one thing we do have to talk about is Atlanta is playing in Atlanta. They've been fine there, but the Seahawks on the road have struggled tremendously, averaging only 15.9 points per game and turning the ball over 1.4 times per game on the road. Um, that's compared to averaging 28.4 points at home and turning the ball over only 0.9 times. So first of all, this could be a spot for the Atlanta Falcons defense. They're only 4,300 on FanDuel, 2,600 on DraftKings. They are a home favorite, which is what we're looking for. And the Seahawks rank just 21st in 4 for 4s strength of schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to opposing defenses so tj how concerned are you about the seahawks road splits yeah i'm pretty concerned and i think that's a good point mentioning atlanta's defense as a punt defense this week uh especially on DraftKings. but when you look at seattle's road splits i mean sometimes it's an eight game sample so you might not be able to uh pull as much information or rely on it as much as you might think but when you consider who seattle's road's a road opponents were this year it is pretty concerning they only scored 20 points versus new orleans which is a pretty low total anytime you're uh, in the dome against that defense put up 25 against san francisco uh, but they kind of struggled to get to that 25 against a really bad san francisco defense only five against tampa bay which was a middle of the road defense 10 against green bay which is a defense that a lot of offenses feasted on only three versus los angeles another defense that wasn't that great so uh, five games against defenses that really struggled all, all year, and Seattle only hit their implied total uh, twice on the road. And then if you consider the opponent this week, uh, even more concerned just because no Earl Thomas. Uh, Seattle allowed the 10th highest touchdown rate over the final six weeks, uh, most of that without Thomas. And Atlanta's been a, a big play offense. They led the league in passing touchdowns from outside the red zone with 15, allowed just six uh, long touchdowns touchdowns from outside the red zone so they can uh they can get on top really quick and it, uh, seattle could have a uh, problem catching up if we consider all of those things absolutely and that's something i think you do have to keep in mind especially if you're entering multiple tournament lineups you have to account for the possibility that seattle offense just really does not show up on the road however something similar happened last year in the divisional round against the Panthers and Seattle's passing game ended up still having a really good game Jermaine Curse, I believe caught two touchdowns and 11 passes so especially with the Falcons weak defense maybe Seattle's offense at least their passing offense is somewhat safe just because if they do get behind Atlanta's defense is one that you can move the ball up and down the field on I think the interesting thing here is can Thomas Rawls repeat his success from a week ago the Seattle offense while they have struggled on the road I think last week taught us that they will make adjustments and we saw Thomas Rawls struggle coming into last week had only averaged about one and a half yards per carry over the last three weeks and 30 some odd carries coming into that game against Detroit and then he exploded for 161 yards, more than Marshawn Lynch ever had in a playoff game. And what apparently happened was that Seattle went to more of an eye formation look in the running game. During the regular season, Rawls ran the ball 109 times, only seven of those carries 
uh, came out of the I formation with a fullback, but in the Detroit game, 10 carries for 68 yards out of the I formation with Marcel Reese as the lead blocker. So one thing about Seattle's road struggles, um, whatever the reason, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but we can we can be somewhat confident that Daryl Bevel will at least try to make some adjustments there. Um, but Thomas Rawls, interesting play. Atlanta has struggled somewhat against um, the running game. 26th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. Two running backs, but Rawls is on the road and he is an underdog. And those are situations we really don't like for our running backs. His ownership will probably be a lot higher than it was last week as everyone who didn't play him will be trying to get in on it. They'll see the Falcons not very good against running backs. So I think it's an interesting situation. I'm not super excited about Rawls. I could certainly see him having a good game if Seattle gets some momentum early. But, again, we don't really want these road underdog running backs, especially when they're not too active in the passing game. Now, Rawls had 27 carries and two targets last week on 66% of the snaps. Alex Collins, who I thought coming into last week maybe had a chance to kind of do what Paul Perkins was doing in New York, a little changing of the guard, but... Luckily, um, before kickoff on uh, for for the games on Saturday, I think it was maybe Thursday or Friday, we got the news that Pete Carroll kind of reaffirmed that Rawls was going to be the go-to back, that he was going to get his 20 carries. TJ, I know you have an interesting stat about the Falcons and pass-catching running backs. Um, why don't you tell us a little about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know exactly how I'm going to use this stat because I, I don't know if Seattle just comes out, lines up in that I formation in a game where they're probably going to have to score a lot of points. There could be some game script concerns. And even with all that said, I don't know uh, how much they will get Alex Collins involved. But uh, like you, I, I was excited about Collins going into last week. And Atlanta allowed 232 PPR fantasy points to opposing running backs on receptions only that's the most ppr points allowed uh, on receptions to running backs in the league and that accounted for almost 53 percent of all of the fantasy points allowed to running backs which is the uh second highest rate through the air against running backs in the league so uh, really susceptible in the passing game to that position this year yeah it's something to think about but it's really tough to I guess get excited about Collins. You also got J.D. McKissick in the mix. Marcel Reese even at times would line up split out wide. So, you know, he would count as a running back. So, I mean, really tough. I think Rawls is probably the only guy you can really feel confident about using in West year, just throwing a complete dart. As far as the passing game, Russell Wilson, the road struggles have obviously carried over to him. He's averaging... Just 254 passing yards per game with a 1-to-1 touchdown-to-interception ratio on the road and 7.3 yards per attempt at home. Those numbers are 273 yards, a 1.6 to .38 um, touchdown-to-interception ratio and 8.5 yards per attempt. So significantly lower on the road this year for Wilson. In his career, it's been the same kind of story. He averages 7.7 yards per attempt on the road in his career but 8.6 at home although he does have slightly better career rushing stats 
on the road. So overall, it kind of evens out for his fantasy production. But something to keep in mind here, again, that the Seattle offense could come out a little flatter than they did last week. I know Russell Wilson was actually surprisingly the, well, surprisingly to me anyway, the highest-owned quarterback in the DraftKings quarter-millionaire. So I'd be kind of interested to see where he ends up this week. I'm sure people will be targeting that Seattle passing game. Doug Baldwin, um, nothing really... Uh, bad to say about him, 9.6 targets per game since week 12. Atlanta does have Brian Poole at slot corner. He is pro football focused, 29th ranked cornerback. Atlanta actually has four corners in the top 41 in those PFF grades, but it just goes to show you how those grades don't always match up to fantasy production because despite that, Atlanta still allowed the ninth most fantasy points in the league to wide receivers and is ranked 29th in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers so I don't think you really have to worry too much about the matchups here last week it was kind of interesting there was a lot of rotation among the receiving corps you had Doug Baldwin playing 70% of the snaps Paul Richardson actually played 75% Um, he only got four targets but he made the most of them with three catches 48 yards and a touchdown Jermaine Kirst was at 64% of the snaps. Luke Wilson at 60. Marcel Reese at 45. Jimmy Graham got dinged up early. Only ended up playing 55% of the snaps. He was at around 75% during the regular season. And I had hoped that he would see close to 100% of the snaps and potentially get a bunch of targets and finally pick it up. But he's had a little trouble staying playing full games. Um, not sure if he's going to be able to this weekend. He's cleared four targets only once over the last five games. So I, I do think Graham is in a really good spot this week um, against the Falcons. But again, you know, it's he's been hard to trust. Um, it's going to be interesting. He could, I guess he's kind of a pivot off Travis Kelsey. We did see that payoff, I believe it was in week 17, when you could pivot from Kelsey to Zach Ertz, and it paid off. So it might pay off again. You actually get a substantial discount. Um, on DraftKings from Graham to Kelsey, but remains to be seen just exactly what Graham's going to be able to do. TJ, Doug Baldwin, though, he's been producing, but he's now up to $8,100 on DraftKings. That's $900 higher than at any other point in his career. Julio's only 300 more on DraftKings at 8,400. Antonio Brown's 9,600. What do you think of that pricing? Is Doug Baldwin still a core play for you at DraftKings? Of course, you do have Zeke Elliott at only 400 higher, and Aaron Rodgers at only 100 higher as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think this week, uh, just considering the entire player pool, considering pricing. I don't think Baldwin's a cash game play for me. I don't think he's a core play in terms of being one of my highest own wide receivers uh we obviously haven't gotten into everybody but if you consider uh the packers wideouts you consider consider edelman uh des is cheaper on both sides you mentioned julio who's only 400 dollars more on FanDuel, only 300 dollars more on DraftKings. uh i just don't think baldwin is going to be one one of my high owned guys i mean on these small slates we have exposure to uh pretty much any relevant play as much as you can because you can pretty much cover all your bases but he will be uh definitely one of my lower owned guys this week yeah, I think it just comes down to roster construction, as I mentioned. When you have Aaron Rodgers at that price, when you have Zeke at that price, 
it's really tough to justify Baldwin. And, I mean, for that reason, his ownership could come in pretty low and probably lower than we think. I think a lot of people will kind of be feeling the same way. They'll want to get Zeke into their lineups. They'll want to get Aaron Rodgers. And they'll still want to get Le'Veon Bell. So, I mean, you do have to do some things different from the crowd in tournaments. So, maybe that's a way to go with the Wilson-Baldwin stack or something like that. But, um, just in terms of a value perspective based on the other players and their floors and their ceilings priced near Baldwin. Um, he's probably one of the the more poor plays at that price point. I think Paul Richardson looked really good last week uh, on film. He made a couple of spectacular catches. Of course, the one touchdown catch, he did get away with a penalty there, but now his ownership will probably be a lot higher this week. And I think last week he made for an enticing play. He was pretty much the cheapest um, skill position player, non-tight end um, player that you could comfortably play. Um, this week he's priced up a little bit. And, you know, I don't – on DraftKings he's priced up a little bit. And, you know, I think he's more – it almost looks more like an enticing fade because I think his ownership will be a lot higher but you know Jermaine Curse could always resurface uh, I mentioned that you know Curse only got one less target than Richardson they played similar amount of snaps Curse could have caught a touchdown last week Doug Baldwin stole it out of the air that's some real Doug Baldwin thing to do so um <laughs> <laughs> you know keep that in mind with Paul Richardson I think he really he's a guy that he's gonna be highly owned as one of the cheaper wide receivers on the slate it's going to be recency bias there he did look great so that's definitely um goes in his favor but we know with these cheap receivers and these guys who aren't the primary target in the Seahawks offense you never know what's going to happen it could, I could easily see it being a curse game I could easily see Jimmy Graham re-emerging you know Doug Baldwin's probably still going to get his 8 to 12 targets so um that's something to think about there but let's go to the Atlanta Falcons side of the ball. Matt Ryan had a great season. Second in Fanduel points per game. Third in DraftKings points per game. Now, the Seattle defense is eighth against quarterbacks and schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed. But Matt Ryan's been one of the best quarterbacks all year. This Falcons offense has a, a, a pretty high team total. It's over 28. So I wouldn't worry too much about Ryan. Uh, Julio Jones had seven catches, 139 yards, and a touchdown on nine targets last time against the Seahawks. That prompted a Richard Sherman blow up on the sideline. He went after his defensive coordinator. He was mad that he didn't get moved around with Julio as much, and there were some breakdowns on the other side of the field. Now Earl Thomas isn't there I would suspect, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. It's hard to read this, but I would suspect we see a lot of Sherman on Julio. I'm not going to say 100%. We know Julio does get in the slot a lot. So I still do think Julio's a great play, and he has a ton of upside. But I think we'll see a more concerted effort by the Seahawks to get Sherman on Julio as much as they possibly can. They really don't want him going off for a second time in the year these things usually even out in the second game uh when two teams meet so that's something to keep in mind as well 
I think the really interesting thing here um, is Devontae Freeman. But before I get into the running game, TJ, any thoughts on Julio? He's only 300 more than Baldwin on, on DraftKings. You know, there is the Sherman threat, but at the same time, it's Julio. So what are you thinking with him? Yeah, I mean, if, if you're playing cash games, I think it's a week where you want to try to pay up for uh, at least one of the big two running backs, two if you can get them in, which is more of, of a FanDuel thing. But uh, if you're not going to pay up for those guys in cash games, maybe try to squeeze in one of the uh, top quarterbacks, either Matt Ryan or Aaron Rodgers. So I don't think you're necessarily looking to get Julio in cash games. But I mentioned a little bit earlier that Atlanta uh, led the league in touchdowns from outside the red zone through the air this year. And Julio, for whatever reason, just isn't a big red zone guy in this offense. So we know he can make that splash play even if uh, Sherman is on him. Uh, I also talked about how this secondary has struggled without uh, Earl Thomas in the secondary, giving up a, a league bottom 10 in the league touchdown rate through the air. So Julio is obviously a guy you're going to be uh, rostering in in quite a few of your GPP lineups. Obviously, wherever you have Matt Ryan, you're going to have Julio on uh, the majority of those teams and, and we'll be sprinkling him in uh, where you could fit him uh, other places as well. Better odds for a touchdown this week, Julio Jones or Taylor Gabriel? <sighs> Julio Jones. I don't know about that, man. I mean, it hasn't been. I mean, I, I think it's a really interesting contrarian strategy to go with, um, like, Matt Ryan stacks without Julio because I think there's some there's – some, you could you could conceivably pay up for quarterback and not wide receiver mm-hmm. at all and make an interesting tournament lineup and try to get Bell and Zeke in or or, mm-hmm. or something like that. But, um, you know, I was half joking with the Tara Gabriel thing, but, I mean, he really has yeah. actually been – you know, scoring a lot of touchdowns. And, like, we, I don't know, this year it's just been these fast guys have just been mm-hmm. continuing to do this, um, score a lot of touchdowns. Julio did get involved in the red zone um, in the last game of the season, so that was promising. Hasn't been as involved as we have liked him to be in the red zone for most of the season, but in a playoff game with all the chips on the line, I would bet in the Falcons playing this as smart as possible. Devontae Freeman, though, Sixth in the NFL in total touchdowns with 13. One or more touchdowns in each of his last five home games. Multiple touchdowns in three of his last five home games. Averaging 97 yards at home and 1.37 touchdowns at home. So 1.4 touchdowns at home. That's compared to only a quarter uh, touchdown on the road per game. So he's averaging over one more touchdown um, per game at home than on the road over the last three games the Seahawks have given up three touchdowns to David Johnson then they gave up two touchdowns and a four for 68 receiving line to Sean Drone and then last week they gave up 88 total yards and six catches though to Zach Zenner so I do think Devontae Freeman is in a good spot despite the fact that Seattle's defense versus position stat against running backs is pretty good. They're actually first in the league in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs, but have shown some vulnerability lately. I'm sure Seattle is going to be a little more concerned about stopping Matt Ryan and this passing game. Who, um, Excuse me, Devontae Freeman can do a lot of damage in the receiving game, so I really like him, especially on DraftKings, where his price is down at 
5,900. And Garrett Brunt right there at 5,800 will probably also divert some ownership from Freeman on DraftKings just because Blunt is a large home favorite. And I think people are starting to catch on to that. Blunt scored a ton of touchdowns as well. Actually more than Freeman. I'm sure we'll get into that a little later. And then you got Tevin Coleman who averaged 59 total yards and point four three touchdowns at home. A lot more yardage and touchdowns on the road. 88 yards and 1.3 on the road, which is ridiculous now. It might just be some variance. Um, he had a really good game in New Orleans, so not sure what to make of that. I think Tevin Coleman's expectation is more closely tied to his home splits. I think Freeman is the clear lead dog, and because Freeman's been so successful, um, I, I would lean him as the play. I know some people are going to go Coleman as a contrarian play. I think it makes some sense because Coleman's another one of these guys who is liable to break off a long touchdown at any time, but I would count on usage more so for Devontae Freeman. Going back to the passing game really quickly, we did try to target Seattle in the slot with Jeremy Wayne last week. Anquan Bolden completely had a meltdown, two 15-yard penalties. The commentators were completely baffled as to why he was even still in the game. Um, It was just an ugly game for Bolden. So Muhammad Sanu is kind of in that same category where he's not super talented, not a lot of separation there, hasn't seen more than four targets since week 12. So it's it's a situation where you're not going to feel too confident about it, but he did score in the last game against the Seahawks. I could see him scoring again. I could see him catching a half dozen passes or so. It's not out of the question, but his floor is pretty, pretty low, probably one or two catch floor. And then Taylor Gabriel averaged 15.1 DraftKings points per game in the seven games from weeks 9 to 16. That was 21st overall among wide receivers. He averaged only 5.9 targets per game over that span. 5.9 targets plus rushes, excuse me, over that span. He had five or six targets in a game six times. So the floor wasn't super low, but the ceiling wasn't super high for him. I would imagine they try to get him those six touches again in a playoff game. Seattle at times has struggled against these smaller, faster wide receivers. So definitely something to think about. I don't think too many people will be on Gabriel coming back off the injury. It could be kind of a situation similar to the Randall Cobb um, situation. Atlanta does have a really high point total, really good quarterback. So I think you do have to give some consideration to rostering Gabriel, especially with your Matt Ryan stacks because Gabriel is liable to score on a long touchdown. And that's really good uh, for stacking purposes. And it's a nice little contrarian pivot off of Julio or even Sanu, who will probably also be more highly owned. Austin Hooper is Atlanta's probably highest upside tight end. We don't know for sure if he's going to play. He's been out um, but if not, it's been Levon Toilolo, Joshua Perkins. Um, not really too much to talk about with Atlanta at the tight end position. So, TJ, let's let's get into this uh, Texans-Patriots game. Sure. So I, I think uh, pretty much everybody knows uh, what side of the ball they're going to be on in this one. Houston at New England. New England favored by 15.5, which is the third largest spread in the playoffs since the merger. Uh, These teams did play earlier in the year in week three, but of course Tom Brady wasn't on the field for that one, but New England did still win 27-0. In that game, LeGarrette Blunt 24 
for 105 yards and two touchdowns. And he was one of three running backs to rush for over 100 yards uh, against Houston all season. In that game, Brock Osweiler uh, completed 24 of 41 passes for 196 yards, no touchdowns and an interception. Lamar Miller posted just 80 yards on 21 carries. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, four catches for 56 yards without a touchdown, uh, eight targets. And then Fedorowicz was out in that game. Griffin led the team uh, with eight catches, 52 yards on 10 targets. Uh, so not much uh, from Houston in that game. But uh, some interesting notes I talked about. I, I kind of went over some of these Vegas totals for the year. Vegas projected game totals for New England games more accurately than any team this year. So the league-wide, the correlation of over-under to the actual game total was 0.37 for New England games. That correlation was 0.59. So really high correlation there. They did a really good job of pinpointing the game totals. Uh, Houston and New England were among the top six most accurate Vegas projections uh, in terms of implied team total. And if we look at New England this week, they have an implied total of 29.75. That's the third time this year that they've been projected to score over 29 points. And that is three and a half points over their uh, implied point total on the season. So we have Tom Brady, who is going to be someone everyone's going to be thinking about because New England is expected to score a lot of points. He's 8,600 on FanDuel, 7,600 on DraftKings. On FanDuel, he's only $200 less than Aaron Rodgers on DraftKings. $600 less. So if we're just looking at uh, the price relative to the top, you're getting a little bit of a a discount on Brady over on DraftKings. But over the final six weeks of the season, uh, Brady was good, but he wasn't he wasn't great. He ranked ninth in touchdown uh, rate which was tied with Colin Kaepernick during that span and seventh in fantasy points per attempt. So not crazy elite numbers. Uh, Houston finished the the season ranked 12th in touchdown rate, but over the final six weeks of the season, just 21st in touchdown rate allowed. Uh, that's not including the, the wild card game last week against Connor Cook, where Oakland obviously was just kind of in shambles on offense. Um, I'm going to get into the running game uh, a little bit more um, and kind of my reasoning behind this question. But uh, Chris, I I kind of want to get your opinion here. I kind of want to completely uh, fade Brady this week. Is that kind of crazy to you? Yes. (laughs) I mean, like I said, I'll I'll get I'll get into the the running back numbers, Uh, but I don't think you're paying up for him um, in in cash games. And I I don't know if. if he, I don't know if he has the ceiling as some of the other guys in tournaments. I think, first of all, so I did a poll. I'll, I'll start there. I did a poll <laughs> on Twitter. I did a few polls on Twitter. Actually, you guys can go check them out. You probably know my Twitter, at Chris Raybon. It's my name. And I did these polls yesterday, January 10th. So you, go, you can go to my timeline, and they're all in a row pretty much. But I pretty much asked people who they would roll with in a DraftKings tournament, gave them four options at different positions, reasonably close in price. And one of the questions I threw out there was, if you have to pick a quarterback for a DraftKings tourney, would you go Aaron Rodgers at 82, Tom Brady at 76, one of Matt Ryan or Russell Wilson at 7 or 6.9K, or Dak at 6K? Um, 34% said Dak. Another 34% said one of Ryan or Russ Wilson. Only 19% said Brady and 13% said Rodgers. So Tom Brady is actually one of my favorite tournament plays 
at quarterback. First of all, we know these home favorite running um, quarterbacks with large team totals have success. So I, I actually think despite the results of my poll that Aaron Rodgers will be more highly owned than Tom Brady just because of recency bias and because of how well Rodgers is playing. Um, and I think Tom Brady still is, you know, besides Aaron Rodgers, I mean, who's really a better quarterback in this league than Tom Brady? He has the huge spread, the high team total. And this is still angry Tom. You know, now he's in the playoffs. This is still angry Tom season if you want the narrative. Um, he's 600 cheaper than Rodgers on DraftKings. He's a couple hundred cheaper than Rodgers on FanDuel. So you're getting a discount. You're probably getting a much less ownership of some of the stacks because I think there's going to be... I think Rodgers is going to be more highly owned. I think you're going to see Rodgers to Cobb, Rodgers to Adams, even Rodgers to Allison. A lot more highly owned than Brady to Edelman or Brady to Martellus Bennett or something like that. So I really, really like Tom Brady. And I mean, I think... 16 point favorites for the Patriots or 15 and a half or whatever highest spread since I think 1998 I mean the Patriots could drop a 50 burger in this game I don't care who the defense is um I definitely want exposure to Brady here yeah I mean uh if if those ownership percentage numbers shake out like you think they will then that obviously makes a, a very strong strong case to have some exposure to him I was just uh kind of looking over these running back numbers and, and the running game. And uh, over the final six weeks of the season, New England allocated 63.3% of their touches to the running backs. That's the fourth most in the league. Uh, LeGarrette Blunt's going to be the obvious guy that we think about, 7300 on FanDuel, $5,800 on DraftKings. He averaged uh, 16.5 touches per game over the final six weeks, and only three teams ran at a higher rate in the red zone over the final six weeks than New England. Uh, Houston does rank 25th in running back adjusted fantasy points allowed, uh, but just the second uh, fewest fantasy points per game and fewest total yards per game to running backs over the final six weeks. Uh, Last week, they did allow Oakland running backs to combine for just 64 yards on 20 carries again. Uh, Oakland was kind of in shambles there, so uh, take from that what you will. Uh, but the other guy that I, I think is interesting is Deion Lewis, 5400 on FanDuel, $3,900 on DraftKings. Over the final six weeks of the year, he averaged 12.2 touches per game. But if we look at the final three games of the year, he averaged almost 17 touches per game. He's a top two projected DraftKings value, according to 4 for 4 projections. And uh, if we look at the ceiling projections, James White and Deion Lewis are the top two projected ceiling values on both sides. So kind of thinking that New England can be throwing to their uh, running backs a lot in, in this game. And I think uh, Deion Lewis will be the beneficiary. So I think he's a really interesting uh, PPR option and someone that you might even want to uh, think about in, in tournaments this week. Uh, the receivers, uh, you know you know what you're getting there. Julian Edelman, uh, pretty affordable, 7000 on on FanDuel, 6800 on DraftKings. Uh, we have him as a top two projected FanDuel value according to 4 for 4 projections. And Target Monster, one of three players to see at least 30% of his team's targets over the last six weeks, tied for uh, the most targets per game, 11.8 over that six-week span with Odell Beckham. The other guy that I think is interesting, uh, Malcolm Mitchell, who's 5,600 on FanDuel, 4,700 on DraftKings. He saw 11 red zone targets over the final six weeks of the season, 29.7% red zone target share. So target numbers and target share up there with guys like uh, Jordy Nelson and Mike Evans. So if you're if you're rolling out Tom Brady, 
I think it'll be really interesting to throw some Malcolm Mitchell in there. I think Patriots defense will be uh, the chalk against Houston. Obviously the biggest favorites. Houston not expected to put up many points. I think you can afford them on both sides. 5,100 on FanDuel, 4,000 on DraftKings. On the Houston side of the ball, um, I don't I don't think there's much to say. They're, they're projected for 14.75 points. That's the third lowest implied point total of the season. And I'm just going to look at, at some four-for-four four values. And there's only eight teams playing this week. Um, Brock is the eighth projected value on both sides. Lamar Miller isn't even a top eight running back value on FanDuel. He's the eighth on DraftKings. We don't have a wide receiver projected as a top 10 value on either site. Uh, Fedorowicz is the sixth uh, highest value out of eight starting tight ends. Uh, The defense and special teams is the lowest price on both sites, but also the worst value according to our projections. We know Belichick's going to take away the wide receiver one, so... uh, I'm not going to get into any recent stats. I'm just going to ask you, Chris, is there any scenario where you play any Texan in any format this week? I could actually see playing Ryan Griffin on mm-hmm. DraftKings because he's 2,600. And we know, first of all, tight end is just a volatile position. And mm-hmm. in a week where there's a, a lot of studs that you want to get in there, having that 2600 hour play in a game where the Patriots could get up and the Texans could just be passing a lot in garbage time and we know Brock loves to target the tight end we know as you mentioned that Bill Belichick likes to take away the wide the top wide receiver I could see a scenario where Griffin catches <clears throat> five or six balls for maybe 50 60 yards probably won't score a touchdown but similar to last week where if you had Will Ty on DraftKings at 2800 it really opened up some things for you um, and, and gave you some uh, a better lineup than maybe if you had to pay up that 800 for Jared Cook and then you had to pay down from Texans defense to the Raiders. You lost a lot of points or something like that. So Ryan Griffin's probably the guy. I think the second favorite guy is probably Fedorowicz. Um, just those two tight ends, just maybe counting on them catching a bunch of balls in garbage time. Yeah, I just I don't think this is a spot to get cute. I mean, on small slates, we like to talk about things we don't expect, just going contrarian. I, I don't think really anywhere outside of the guys you mentioned is is the spot to do it. So, um, not even thinking about any Houston guys. So, so that's where where we're at for that game. But let's go ahead and get into Pittsburgh at Kansas City. Yeah, this is going to be a fascinating game. Uh, opened as a pick em, I believe. Now Kansas City's favored by a point and a half. This spread has been moving around quite a bit, so be sure to keep monitoring it as the week moves. We're recording this on Wednesday night. The over-under is 44. The implied total would be KC 22.75. Pittsburgh 21.25, which is on the low side. The last meeting between these two teams was in Pittsburgh in Week 5. Pittsburgh romped. 43 to 14. Big Ben had 300 yards, five touchdowns. Lev Bell had 178 total yards. Antonio Brown had 64 yards, but two scores. Sammy Coates caught uh, six for 79. Alex Smith did uh, put up some good numbers on the other side. We'll get to that in a second. But with this Pittsburgh offense, it's just another team that, for whatever reason, struggles on the road. 21.6 points per game on the road this season compared to 28.3 at home. So, TJ, I'll ask you the same question before we get into this. 
that I asked you for the Seahawks. How concerned are you about this Steeler team traveling? Um, not not quite as concerned. I mean, I'm probably more concerned with the player pricing than anything. But anytime you have uh, Ben, Antonio, and Le'Veon, I think there's a really good chance that this team could put up numbers. We obviously saw them smack Kansas City earlier in the year. Granted, that was at home. Uh, but if we look at uh, Pittsburgh's road games this year, it, it isn't as alarming as Seattle's. Uh, they did have five road games where they scored at least 24 points. A few where they, I think, three or four where they scored over 28. Uh, their total was just kind of skewed by a few bad games. They had a, a three-point game early against Philadelphia. If you remember that game, uh, Pittsburgh just came out flat. They didn't have Le'Veon Bell in that game. Philadelphia just kind of ran away really early. Uh, they had a 15. 15- point game against Miami where Ben got hurt and was kind of in and out of that game so a little bit of an uh, anomaly there in terms of their scoring and then a 14 point game in Baltimore uh, which is always a low scoring game Baltimore's defense was decent this year so I'll probably take my shots with uh, Pittsburgh players quite a bit Uh, won't be my highest own guys like I said probably because of pricing but I'm not uh, as concerned as I am with Seattle Yeah, I think for me the concern is Big Ben more so than Bell or Brown. Um, Since 2014, Ben has averaged at home 340 yards, 2.9 touchdowns, 0.9 interceptions, 8.9 yards per attempt. On the road, that's down to 270 yards. His touchdown to interception ratio since 2014 on the road is just 1.1 touchdowns to one interception which is kind of hard to believe considering he has a 2.9 to 0.9 um, at home and then 7.5 yards per attempt. Ben has struggled on the road. We don't know the severity of his injuries. Probably, I mean, he's going to play. Um, he's always going to say, he always tries to play up his injuries and say he's more hurt than he is. So I'm sure it's it's nothing, but Arrowhead is a tough place to play in. And even last week at home, we saw a situation where Antonio Brown dominated in the receiving game but no one else really was able to do much outside of him so Big Ben really didn't have a big game and Pittsburgh has been running the ball more they have been putting the game in Le'Veon Bell's hands more um, since he's kind of gotten back up to speed this season Ben's attempts are down a little bit so I think Ben more than anything is my concern that Kansas City defense looked like the real deal um, last few times out Pittsburgh actually did rush for more yards per game on the road this season, 121 to 99. And I mean, I'm sure that Mike Tomlin is aware and the Pittsburgh, uh, Todd Haley is aware of kind of Big Ben's struggles on the road. And I think they uh, do want to kind of put this game in Le'Veon Bell's hands and let him kind of carry them. So I'd be a little concerned about Ben. I have no concerns whatsoever about Bell over his last six games, 31 touches per game, 173 total yards per game, and 1.3 scores. I mean, I don't care about the price. I think you have to have exposure to this guy. One thing I thought was interesting coming into last week, I wish I had seen this by the time we had recorded last week, but I actually didn't until a little later in the week, but... It was when you go in the DraftKings lineup optimizer on 4 for 4, the top 50 lineups in terms of uh, projected points, I believe that none of them had Antonio Brown 
last week, but most of, um, I think most all of them had Le'Veon Bell, despite the fact that Bell was more expensive, and it turned out that they ended up scoring pretty close to each other last week, but if you looked at the top lineups in the quarter, Millionaire, only about a handful of the top 50 had Brown, and almost every single one of them had Bell, so I thought that was interesting. Um, this week, um, there are a couple other running backs that I guess could conceivably score as much as Bell. Now you have Zeke on the slate. You do have Freeman. But um, Le'Veon Bell is a guy I think you have to have exposure to. I mean, he's he's always liable. You know, he could get 100 yards receiving at any time. Um, I don't think it's happened yet this year, but I wouldn't rule it out, especially if Pittsburgh is playing from behind or, or something like that. So I think you want exposure to Bell. Brown, even though he's been better at home, he his road averages aren't actually too shabby though. Um, since 2014, he's averaging 110 yards and a touch at home, but on the road, still 95 yards and a half a touch. So still better than most receivers. Um, so the numbers they're not too bad for Brown. And I think if Pittsburgh actually goes down in this game, it actually might benefit Brown. We did see him post a 12 catch 140 yard game in a game where Pittsburgh was down earlier in the year against Casey. Of course, that was without Bell, but you kind of see what can happen if you ha- take a talented receiver and you add in some some negative game script. So I think there's a scenario where where Brown can go really nuts um, just from that alone. Of course, he could he's liable to go nuts on any week. Anyway, and then Kansas City has always been really good against the tight end position. Eric Berry usually shuts them down. They have a couple other guys in coverage now as well. So I don't think Ladarius Green's going to play. I don't think Jesse James is really an option. I think it's really going to be another one of those highly concentrated weeks where you see um, Bell and Brown shoulder the load. Maybe Eli Rogers, a contrarian play after he had a letdown last week on the Kansas City side of the ball. Alex Smith, I think he's in play because we saw last week that Brock Osweiler was actually the second highest scorer at quarterback, and he was the cheapest quarterback. So, you know, we see that a cheap quarterback, or the second cheapest quarterback, I think Connor Cook was the cheapest, but we see that a cheap quarterback can pay off, not only if they don't necessarily have to hit their ceiling themselves, but if a couple of the higher-priced options perhaps underperform, you can get a lot of value out of these lower priced quarterbacks. A guy like Alex Smith, if he just does what he normally does, you know, gets you that 14 to 18 points or something like that. I do think Smith's upside over these last few weeks has been a bit underrated ever since the team really started to make an effort to involve Travis Kelsey a lot more, make an effort to really get Tyreek Hill a lot of touches. I think Alex Smith has a little more upside than usual, even though he still throws a lot of passes short of the sticks. Um, He has shown he will target Tyreek Hill down the field somewhat a little more. And also, I think just because of the yard after catch threats of Hill and Kelsey, I think Smith does have some good upside. I think there's a better chance of him getting the 300 yards now in this offense than there was previously in in when he had Macklin as his top guy or, or Dwayne Bowe back in the day. Or something like that. Um, TJ, I know you you saw something interesting about Smith in terms of his ceiling projections on 4 for 4. 
Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, that last week the uh, the optimizer didn't put uh, Brown in the lineups, and I think that's interesting because um, when we're talking about tournaments, we're talking about upside. You, you want to use a lineup optimizer a little differently than you would for a cash game. Like the the lineup you spit out usually isn't going to be a lineup you use in a tournament, just because it uh, sometimes you can't grasp the nuances. But what it can do is give you some really interesting ideas because it's running these thousands of calculations and seconds that you can't in building all these lineups and telling you um, where this value lies. So if we look at the uh, 4 for 4 lineup generator and we look at ceiling projections, Alex Smith is the top projected ceiling value on both sites. And you talked about it a little bit. People kind of say Alex Smith doesn't have um, – a ceiling and maybe uh, the likelihood compared to other quarterbacks that's true but he does have two uh, games over 25 DK points this year uh, granted it was in week one and week 17 so very few and far between but if you're telling me that he's going to get me 25 DK points if I have a 15% chance and he's going to be owned 5 to 10% uh, I, I like that in a short slate so uh, just something to think about if you're building GPP lineups this week. Oh, yeah. With the pricing on DraftKings, Smith probably is my favorite tournament quarterback. I know that sounds mm-hmm. outrageous, but again, you know, you can only play so many guys at each price point. So at that price point, you know, let's say instead of playing Rodgers, you play Zeke Elliott and maybe you even uh, stuff Le'Veon Bell in there. You know, mm-hmm. I don't see many plays at 5K that have a higher floor or maybe even, you know, I guess ceiling you know any wide receiver would have a a pretty high ceiling but i don't really see many plays that would have a better point per dollar value at five at 5.4 k um then alex smith he did actually throw for 287 yards two touchdowns and a pick against pittsburgh in week five it's pretty high yardage total for him if this pittsburgh offense is successful then i think smith will have to throw and i think he has a good shot at paying off his value i'll get into his receivers in a second i do want to talk about somebody who i do think will be popular in spencer Ware, who's due back from his injury 18 touches 98 yard average this season kind of a quiet 98 yard per game average but only 35.35 excuse me touchdowns per game now his 5200 DraftKings price is the lowest it's been since week one. At FanDuel, he's still up at 6900 That's still a nice little discount off the stud running backs. Pittsburgh did stop Jay Ajayi last week. 16 carries, only 33 yards for Ajayi. I think Ware will be very popular because it's if you want to kind of go with an expensive quarterback stack or something like that, and, and you want at least one stud running back, you're going to have to... Save some money somewhere, and I think you're going to see Spencer Ware, home favorite. I don't think the Steelers' defense really scares too many people, uh, even though they have been pretty good. They're actually in the top six in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed against every position but the tight end. So, TJ, what are your thoughts on Spencer Ware this week? Um, Is his popularity kind of making you consider a fade, or do you think he's a great guy to kind of plug a hole in your lineup? Yeah, I feel like he's he's kind of uh, in a no man's land for me this week. He I, he doesn't get me excited to roll out in cash games, uh, just because I think uh, probably like uh, the combo of Freeman and one of uh, the top two running backs more. And then I, I 
just feel like I don't love his upside. He has just two touchdowns since week seven, and uh, both of those came in the same game where he only totaled 52 yards. Uh, that probably has to do with a lot of game script, but Pittsburgh uh, has been pretty good against running backs down the stretch. Running backs haven't really been putting up uh, big numbers against Pittsburgh. Now Pittsburgh's on the the longest winning streak in the league, so that makes sense, but still worth considering. And I mean, if I'm looking to save, I'll probably rather go all the way down uh, to Deion Lewis. So just isn't isn't anything that really does much for me when I talk about Spencer Ware, but I do, do think it's worth noting that uh, if we just run uh, a four for four optimal ceiling lineup, he does show up in that lineup. So again, just kind of uh, those ideas that we might not be able to calculate in our heads. Sometimes uh, the, those projections uh, can sway you a little bit, or at least give you some exposure where you might not otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think I like. I think the thing I like the least is that is just his potential ownership. But I mean, home favorite running back. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot to like. I mean, yeah, his touchdown equity has been kind of shaky this year, but if he scores a touchdown and he kind of goes close to his season average in yards, I think you're you're really in business. Uh, let's move on to the passing game. Travis Kelsey, a guy who I do expect to be moderately popular. I think it will be kind of tough to pay up for him, so I don't expect him to have ridiculous ownership. I, I think it'll probably be in the maybe the 20 or 30% range, but... Six 100-yard games over his last 10 games. Tight end, as I mentioned, is the only position where the Steelers are not a top-16 in 4-for-4 strength of schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. But Kelsey's draftings and fan duel price is the highest of the season. So going to be interesting where his ownership kind of falls. I think he has a ton of ownership. One thing I will say is if you're planning on... A lot of stacks with, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams or Edelman and and Brady or Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, these kind of expensive stacks. Alex Smith to Travis Kelsey is not even a top 10 stack in terms of price on either FanDuel or DraftKings. And I mentioned those six 100-yard games. So there is some some upside there um, considering the price. If you're looking at it in terms of total stack price, of course, you can go to 444.com, the DFS menu, and go to stack value reports and see all of that information, uh, total stack price cost, stack values, um, really helpful stuff if you're a 444 DFS subscriber. Um, so be sure to check that out. An interesting play in this game, I think, is Jeremy Macklin. He'll probably go under the radar He's had five games this season between 12.8 and 17.2 points on DraftKings. So considering his price is the lowest it's ever been on DraftKings, 4,300, I think there is some value there, even if the ceiling maybe isn't super high. I mean, I mean, I don't think it's out of the question that Macklin could, you know, have one of those number one wide receiver games. Um, Tyreek Hill usually doesn't play every snap. Um, but, you know, Macklin, 6.3 targets per game. Another guy not too exciting, but on a slate where you do want to get in some studs, I think you have to con- at least consider him. And then three is the amount of wide receivers that outscored Tyreek Hill in points per game on FanDuel over the past six weeks. Only four receivers on DraftKings did so. So Tyreek Hill was a top five wide receiver on both sites over the last 
six weeks of the season, 12 touchdowns on the season. Tyreek Hill actually averaged 6.9 targets per game since week 10 and two rushes per game over that span as well. So more targets than Macklin. I know Macklin was out a lot. Um, but more targets per game over the last six weeks, than, um, I mean, since week 10 than Macklin averaged over the season. And then uh, nine carries over Hill's last two games. I would think um, in this playoff game that Tyreek Hill is going to get a lot of touches, as many as he can handle. I remember in a primetime game a couple weeks ago, Chris Collinsworth mentioned that, you know, you know they do these meetings with the offensive coordinators and he mentioned that they were uh, making a more concerted effort to kind of get Tyreek Hill the ball because I think Collins were flat out asked him, hey, you know, this guy is pretty good. You know, why aren't you guys getting him the ball even more than you are? So I, I would actually expect Tyreek Hill to get a ton of touches. I, I know a lot of people are going to kind of say he's a fade because he doesn't see perhaps as many targets as you'd want out of a wide receiver in his price range. Um, this and that, the touchdown rate is unsustainable, but the way I see it, this guy is just playing good. I don't think the ownership percentage will be too crazy on him. There's a lot of options, um, at wide receiver to where I don't think it's, I don't think he will be, you know, 50% owned or anything like that. And I think he's a guy that can just, if you fade him, he could just ruin your entire day. So I, I think you want exposure. I'll have exposure to him. I've been having exposure, um, pretty much. Uh, for the second half of the season, it has paid off. I, I think it's a smart option. I know a lot of people um, will disagree. And I think uh, an option you have to consider is probably the best double dip option that you can do in terms of a skill position player and a defense. Tyreek Hill has three return touchdowns this season. We know about Pittsburgh struggling on the road. And the Chiefs were first in points per game uh, among defensive special teams. They're 4,800 on FanDuel and 3,400 on DK. TJ, quickly, uh, what are your thoughts on Tyreek Hill? Yeah, I was hoping you weren't going to uh, mention the double dip because uh, I was going to come with, come in with that. I mean, uh, Big Ben was uh, bottom 10 in the league and in interception rate over the last uh, six weeks. I th- he threw one or two picks last week. Uh, obviously, Pittsburgh was playing very well, so it went a little bit unnoticed, but uh, Big Ben, he's prone to turn the ball over, and if you pair up uh, Tyreek, I like that play a lot. Definitely. Uh, let's get into the final game, TJ. It's the Packers at the Cowboys. Take it away. Yeah, so this is gonna be uh, this is gonna be the one everyone's looking at. Uh, Green Bay at Dallas. Dallas favored by four and a half with the over under of fifty two and a half, which is the highest impl- uh, over under of the week. These teams did play in week six. Dallas won 30 to 16. Now that's before Aaron Rodgers started his tear, but uh, quickly go over the stats in that game. Aaron Rodgers completed 31 of 42 for 294 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Uh, They still had Eddie Lacy at the time. He had 65 yards on 17 carries. At the time, Ty Montgomery was still primarily a wide receiver. Uh, He led the team in targets that week. Uh, 12 targets, 10 catches, 98 yards. Randall Cobb, uh, 11 targets, 7 catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown. And Jordy was actually third among wide receivers and targets that week. Uh, 7 targets, 5 catches, 68 yards. On the other side of the ball, 
Dak just 18 of 27 for 247 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. Zeke went for 157 on 28 carries. They didn't have Des Bryant that week. Cole Beasley led the team in targets that week, uh, caught four of his eight targets for 42 yards. Jason Witten had six targets, caught all six for 58 yards. And Terrence Williams saw five targets that week, caught four of them for 75 yards. Obviously, things are going to be a little different this week. Uh, not sure what uh, what to expect with Jordy. Rodgers is on fire. But some, uh, some notes about Green Bay, the Vegas implied totals. I mentioned I've been looking at the season-long uh, numbers and kind of how Vegas is done team by team. Vegas projected the spread for Green Bay worse than any team in the league this year. Uh, league-wide, the spread versus the actual point differential had a correlation of uh, 0.44. That was uh, what Vegas projected best out of uh, the spread, the implied point totals, the over-under. Vegas projects spread uh, the best, but for Green Bay, they did it the worst. Uh, the Green Bay games, the correlation was 0.00. They also projected Green Bay uh, implied point totals almost as bad as any team. The projected point total compared to Green Bay's actual point total, the correlation was negative 0.06. So Green Bay averaged an implied point total of 25 points. They averaged 27 points per game. Uh, so Dallas and Green Bay, actually two of the two of the teams that outscored their implied point totals better than any teams in the league. Dallas. Uh, 1.98 points on average over their implied point total Green Bay plus 1.97. So both of those top five in the league. We should expect a pretty high scoring game here. And uh, one other thing, Green Bay game scored 4.2 points over the projected game total. That was the third highest in the league. So all the points uh, that we, we would like, they probably should show up. So I'll start on the, on the Green Bay side of the ball. Green Bay is implied for 23.75 points. We have Aaron Rodgers at 8,800 on FanDuel, uh, 8,200 on DraftKings. Dallas kind of middle of the road against quarterbacks. They finished the season ranked 19th in quarterback-adjusted fantasy points allowed. Over the final six weeks of the season, they ranked 12th in touchdown rate allowed and 12th in fantasy points per attempt. Uh, and teams were throwing 64% of the time in the red zone uh, against Dallas, which was the eighth highest pass rate. So, uh if, if you're going to roll out Aaron Rodgers, if you're going to ride him, ride his hot streak, I mean, he's obviously a great tournament option. Uh, nothing that's prohibitive on the Dallas side of the ball that's going to make you think you should you should fade him at all. Uh, looking at the running game for the Packers, Ty Montgomery, $6,000 on FanDuel, $5,300 on DraftKings. Uh, I, I don't, he's kind of in that no man's land for me as well. He's averaged. 13 and a half touches over the final four weeks of the season. Saw 14 touches in the wild card game, but uh, so many of those touchdowns are coming through the air to the wide receivers. Uh, Montgomery's not getting the kind of volume where you're going to make him a, a core cash game play. So um, he's just kind of there for me right now. Now the wide receivers, Jordy's questionable with two broken ribs. It sounds like there is an outside chance that they could put a flak jacket on him and, and let him play. But even if he does uh, end up playing, I, I just don't think he's going to be a factor. He was the least targeted wide receiver in their first matchup. And uh, obviously with that rib injury, you just can't expect much out of them. Now, Dallas does struggle overall against wide receivers, ranked 26th in wide receiver adjusted fantasy points allowed. A lot of people are going to be looking to Cobb because he had the big game last week. Um, he's affordable. He's 6,500 on FanDuel and 5,700 on DraftKings. He uh, comes in at the top of, of our uh, values, the top projected FanDuel value. 
at the position and then top two on DraftKings. But uh, if you're thinking about tournaments, he probably is going to be a very popular play just because of his big game last week. But Devontae Adams actually led the team in targets, catches, and yards last week. So those sustainable numbers without Jordy, Devontae was the guy that Aaron Rodgers was still looking to. Now he's a little more expensive. He's 7400 on FanDuel and $7,000 on DraftKings. But that might be a reason to look to him a little more in tournaments if you are stacking this game, which you should be quite a bit. Uh, we have him as a top three FanDuel value, a top four DraftKings value. And over the, the final six weeks of the season, Devontae Adams uh, – Huge red zone threat right up there with Jordy. 11 red zone targets, 30% market share. So, um, Chris, you have some thoughts about uh, Ty Montgomery and Randall Cobb. And also, I, I after you go over that, I want to know if there's any way you're rolling out any uh, Geronimo this week. Yeah, so on Ty Montgomery and Randall Cobb, I, I think you made a great point about Cobb's ownership. I think it'll be sky high. Another case of recency bias and people wanting to – jump on a play that they missed out on for the most part last week. It's no doubt that most people missed out on it because you saw Cobb's ownership percentages hovering around 5%. Now, if Jordy Nelson misses this game, he averaged 6.1 receptions per game. So essentially, Jordy averaged six touches per game. If I'm the Packers, there's a situation where I could say, okay, I don't have Jordy Nelson. I'm missing six touches per game. I think there's it's it's a possibility that they try to put that put those six touches in Ty Montgomery's hands. I think that's something that I don't think too many people are thinking about right now. You mentioned even even you 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 think you know he's kind of just there, and I think these are the kind of plays in a tournament where in retrospect it'll kind of look obvious, like oh yeah, you know Jordy Nelson was out, they had some touches opened up, you know Ty Montgomery's just you know kind of been there he's a guy that you know has been successful in the past on this team so I I really do like Ty Montgomery as a tournament play he is one of the cheaper running backs on FanDuel that you can expect double digit touches from and then on DraftKings he's 5300 so he's right in that range where everyone's going to play Spencer Ware and no one's really going to touch Ty Montgomery so really like that play you're not really risking too much salary by playing him and you're still getting a solid um, kind of touch floor with him. I know Kristen Michael looked good, and I actually think Kristen Michael's ownership might rival that of Montgomery's. But I, I think there's a scenario where Montgomery could be a featured player in this game. And as far as Cobb, we've seen this before, where Jordy goes out and we all get super excited about Cobb, and then he had he just underperforms. He did that pretty much all of last season. So. I think this is an interesting spot to fade Cobb, especially relative to the amount of ownership he's going to get. You know, I I don't think that he's by any means a bad play in terms of point projection or dollar per point. You know, anytime Aaron Rodgers is throwing you the ball, I think you're a good play. But just from a game theory perspective, we have seen this with Cobb before where he's underperformed expectations with Jordy out. There's going to be a lot of recency bias there so something to think about and then as far as Geronimo Allison if Jordy Nelson misses the game I will absolutely have exposure to Allison this season multiple um, Packer wide receivers have scored a touchdown in 11 of their 17 games that they've played and that could very well be Allison if he is the third 
wide receiver, I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, I think you make really great points about all of those tournament plays. Um, I mean, if, if, if Cobb doesn't catch a, a Hail Mary at the end of the half, he has a, a still really good game, but but not great. Uh, and like I said, Devonte led the team in, in these sustainable numbers with Jordy out. Um, I do just kind of want to um, reiterate what you, you said about Montgomery and how I introduced the Packers. Both of these teams outscore their expectation a lot this year, and Vegas has had a really hard time uh, pinning down the Green Bay spread. I think the most likely scenario for how this game ends up is that Green Bay wins the shootout. Um, I don't know how popular of an opinion that is, but that's that's um, how I think that could go. That could definitely support um, your Ty Montgomery love. So yeah, there's um, the only other. I mean, there is that. I think that is the most likely outcome. I do think there's one other outcome that maybe we should discuss briefly, which is Dallas playing Super Bowl control and mm-hmm. um, Aaron Rodgers and the whole Packers offense underperforming their expectations along with Dak Prescott. Because I am seeing, I think a lot. I think Dak Prescott just because of his price, especially on DraftKings, might end up as the highest-owned QB. Mm-hmm. So that is something I think people should at least think about, that you maybe you want to go some lineups with just naked Zeke, you know, mm-hmm. nobody else from this game, and just maybe Zeke just controls this game, gets like 190 yards, two touchdowns, and everyone else kind of underwhelms uh, enough to where you need some other guys in your lineup. But, you know, I, I, would, I would bet toward the shootout just because Aaron Rodgers has been – unbelievable but you know there is always that chance that dallas is like okay we've had two weeks to prepare for this we know what we see what aaron Rodgers is doing let's do anything we can to just take the air out of the ball slow this one down stay committed to the run maybe even if we get in you know a whole seven nothing or something or ten nothing or something like that so that that is also a possibility yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, but I actually think after Brock, Dak is the worst tournament play at quarterback. I mean, he's a fantastic value, um, but I don't I don't like him at, in tournaments at all. And I'll, I'll kind of touch on on why when I get when I go through uh, these Dallas uh, this Dallas breakdown here. So Dallas does have a high, high implied point total uh, over twenty eight. It's their second highest implied point total of the year. Uh, adjusted for fantasy uh, for strength of schedule, uh, Green Bay has been very bad. Uh, they're 29th in quarterback adjusted fantasy points allowed, 24th in running back adjusted fantasy points allowed, 30th against wide receivers, 8th against tight ends, uh, but that probably is just because all the other positions have been balling, so teams haven't needed to use the tight end. Um, Dak is 7,700 on FanDuel, 6,000 on DraftKings. He is our top projected value on both sites, uh, but over the final six weeks of the season, uh, Dak was only 17th in touchdown rate, only 14th in fantasy points per attempt. We're usually looking for passing efficiency with our quarterbacks. He he does do a little bit with his legs, but uh, not a ton. Dallas only threw on 42% of their red zone plays, which was the third lowest uh, in the league. But teams did throw 65% of the time in the red zone against Green Bay over the final six weeks, which is uh, towards the higher end. And Green Bay was bad, but they got a little bit better towards the end against the pass. Since week 12, Green Bay ranked 17th in touchdown rate allowed and 16th in fantasy points per attempt. So uh, not great, but not as bad as their their season-long numbers suggest. And they've been forcing turnovers in the secondary. They had the, highest, the second highest uh, interception rate over the final six weeks. And 
uh, tied for the league lead with uh, 10 picks over that span. They picked Eli off once last week, played really well against the Giants. I mean, Giants had some, Eli's been bad, had some overthrows. His receivers were dropping balls, but um, Green Bay defense played de- decent. So, I mean, I guess I just kind of want to ask you, Chris, one, do you like Dak in tournaments? And then especially on DraftKings where – um, a lot of the best values of the week are on this Dallas off- offense. Is there any way that you don't play Dak in cash? Uh, on DraftKings, I think the case for him in cash is pretty strong. I think you probably the best move there is just play him, play Zeke, and you know hope that if even if Dak maybe underperforms, that Zeke makes up for it. On FanDuel, mm-hmm. I'm going with Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, I not fading him at this point you know if if Aaron Rodgers ends up costing me in 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 a playoff game you know so be it but I think you have to go there I think you can fit Rodgers Bell and Zeke on Fanduel pretty easily so that's what I'll be doing there but on on DK yeah it's a lot tougher so I'll probably go Zeke and in tournaments I mean Dak excuse me in tournaments I don't I hesitate to say he's a bad play because there's only really seven rosterable quarterbacks. So I wouldn't say a bad play. I would say he's not one of my, he's probably more, like you said, on the lower end uh, among them. I'll probably have some exposure because I could definitely see a scenario where he throws four or three touchdowns or, or, or runs in a touchdown and throws two other ones. I think all of his receivers have good matchups. I think this Green Bay defense is pretty bad I think the Giants just squandered their opportunities in Dallas with a strong offensive line and just better players for the most part will be able to take advantage so I do I do have I do have some love for Dak in tournaments especially since you can stack him with a couple of really cheap options and get some touchdown equity with Terrence Williams or Jason Witten in addition to Des Bryant who really isn't that expensive either and I think he'll be pretty popular when it's all said and done because I do think Dak will be popular. But, I mean, Dez has quietly been a beast, um, probably gone a little under the radar because he has missed some games. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's a interesting question. I think a lot of people are just kind of going to blindly uh, look at the game total, look at his price, and assume he's, he's a great uh, tournament option. But, I mean, I think we would all agree that uh, Russ, Matt Ryan, Roethlisberger, Brady, Rogers all have a higher ceiling than Prescott, and people just pound Alex Smith for his ceiling. And him and Dak had the same number of 25 point games this year, and Alex Smith's ceiling game was five points higher than Dak's. I mean, 25 is an arbitrary number, but uh, just just an interesting thing to to think about there. So. I mean, one of the things though is I don't know about this. I think I think Dak's ceiling is comparable to to all those guys because. When you take into account those opposing passing game correlations, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Green Bay, like this Dallas defense is not good. So, like I said, there's a scenario I could see where Zeke controls the game, and that will kind of kill everybody else on Dallas's passing game. That that's firmly in the range of outcomes. But there's also the range of outcomes, like you mentioned, where this game turns into a shootout. And if it does, I mean, I think Dak's a good quarterback. He's playing a terrible defense, and he's got. 
a great offensive line, a top, a number one receiver that he can go to. So, I mean, I think his upside is right there with anybody. I just, I mean, like, I think like you're alluding to, the the bottom line is his ownership is the, the probably the biggest problem with him in tournaments. I think more so than, you know, anything on the field. I think it's just, you know, he's going to be the highest owned quarterback. So, in that, in, or maybe not. Maybe not on FanDuel, but on DraftKings, I would suspect he is. And in those situations, you always want to try to pivot, especially when there are um, so many other options. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I'm going to go hot take and say Green Bay wins by double digits and Zach throws, Dak, Dak throws two picks. Woo! Okay. So uh, I'll, I'll run through the rest of uh, Dallas position players real quick. Um, Zeke is 8,500 on both sides. I don't think we have to build him up if – uh, if you're not paying for Le'Veon, um, you're definitely playing Zeke, probably trying to get to both in cash game on FanDuel. I think you can make a really uh, unique tournament lineup if you jam in both on DraftKings. Um, he's our top projected running back value on FanDuel. Over the final six games of the season, Green Bay allowed the six most yards per touch to opposing backs, and Zeke led the league in 100-yard games with seven. Uh, Dez is 7,600 on FanDuel and 6,600 on DraftKings. I think he... I mean, I mean, we have Antonio, um, we have the, the Green Bay receivers, we have Julio. He could end up kind of being the guy that gets overlooked, excluding week 17. Uh, over the final six weeks of the season, his uh, targets per game weren't anything spectacular, 7.4, but only two players had a higher red zone target share over the final six weeks. Now, uh, the team only had 10 total red zone targets over that span, but when they did throw, they're looking Dez's way, so... I think he's he's a guy that uh, is going to make a really fun tournament play. I did a Ter- I did a sorry to cut you off. I did a, a poll on Dez too for mm-hmm. uh, my followers, and I asked them, you know, who would you rather own in a DraftKings tournament? Um, Devontae Adams at seven K, Edelman at sixty eight, or Dez at sixty six, and I don't know if it's because my followers could just be a little sharper than the mm-hmm. public, but I was actually really surprised at the results. 56% went Dez and only wow. 21, 21% Adams, 23% Edelman. Now, I don't I, think that will reflect the ownership. Yeah, because that, that kind of surprised me. I thought, I honestly thought it would be Edelman just because I think, I don't know, on DraftKings, I think people just love to play Edelman. Um, but maybe Dez will be a little more highly owned than we think just because of, like you mentioned, Dak will be pretty highly owned on DraftKings, so maybe that's what what it is. You know, I don't. I think people still uh, love to stack, and you know, when they see this, these more expensive stacks, maybe they shy away. So, but but yeah, I, I mean, I, w- I would like to see the the correlation of people trying to sound sharp in a poll compared to when they actually have to put their money up. Right. So always, I, I think only six six twelve votes anyway. Uh-huh. I I think I think Des will be lower owned than that. Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, from Des is Terrence Williams. He's 4,500 on FanDuel, 3,100 on DraftKings. He's our top projected DraftKings value. He's has his lowest salary of the year on FanDuel and the lowest in seven weeks on DraftKings. He's a guy that you're just going to be hoping for a score. You're not going to get a ton of targets, but like we've talked about, he's facing a bad Green Bay defense. And um, especially on DraftKings, you're going to have to punt somewhere. Uh, So if you get this cheap receiver that's going to be starting in a high scoring game against a bad defense i mean he's a guy that uh you're probably just going to find in your lineups uh maybe even in cash games so terrence williams is just super cheap you talked about um having the the super cheap uh paul richardson was just that super affordable uh wide receiver last week on a short slate so terrence williams could kind of be that guy this week 
And then Jason Witten, 4,900 on FanDuel, 3,500 on DraftKings. Kind of just a ho-hum play if you need to save money. Uh, he averaged seven targets per game after that zero-target game over the final three weeks of the season if we exclude week 17. So um, really nothing too too exciting there. But I think uh, Des and Terrence Williams are going to be the guys that we're looking to more in this passing game in terms of the pass catchers. Absolutely. I like uh, I like Terrence Williams a lot this week. I think he's a really interesting play. I think people might not feel comfortable playing him but um even in points per dollar value you know besides just the fact that he's kind of just a tournament dart throw um he actually does project well in points per dollar so that about wraps it up for us with the four games on the divisional slate for dfs mvp before we get out of here tj quick word on roster coach yeah, we're still rolling out uh, NFL content at Roster Coach. Uh, one of my favorite uh, topics each week is breaking down the, the values of each tournament on FanDuel and DraftKings. You could go there and check those out before you uh, enter your games. Just rolled out our NBA content. We have Matt LaMarca and Tom Beluco, two really fantastic NBA minds doing um, all of our NBA theory and weekly slate breakdowns, deconstructing winning lineups. Really fantastic stuff over there. Both of those guys are available for one-on-one DFS coaching, as are Chris and myself throughout the playoffs. So uh, please check out rostercoach.com, which is my baby this year. Definitely, man. Rostercoach.com, fantastic site. Want to let you guys know that 4for4.com has early bird rates going right now for all of our 2017 subscriptions. If you subscribe for an early bird uh, DFS 2017 subscription, you do get the rest of this year's playoffs free. It will start immediately. So um, we're still doing content this week, and we're still doing content even next week for the divisional round. As long as there are some DFS slates to play for NFL, we will be doing content. All the projections will be there. So... Um, check that out. You guys can go to my pinned tweet at Chris Raybon, um, and you will see a link to sign up for 444.com subscriptions. We have three different subscription plans um, there. And guys, be sure to follow Mr. TJ Hernandez as well at TJ Hernandez, his name um, on Twitter. And if you enjoyed the podcast all season long, We would really appreciate if you left us a quick little review on iTunes. And we thank all you guys for sticking with us all season long, tuning in every week. We appreciate all the feedback we have been getting. And we hope we've been providing you guys with some some good value and helping you you guys um, profit in this NFL DFS game that we love so much. So with that said, TJ, any last words? We need to get all this money. Let's get this money. Speak with criminal slang. That's just the way that I talk, yo. Vocabulary spills, I'm ill. Speak with criminal slang. That's just the way that I talk, yo. Vocabulary spills, I'm ill. Yo, yo, a burglary is a joke. A wolf's a crook. More deep already explained the meaning of shook. If you caught a felony, you caught an F. If you got killed, you got left. If you got the dragon, you got bad breath. If you 7.30, that mean you crazy. Hit me on the hit means page me.